1: We're back to the Neil Haley show here on the Caregiver Dave Celebrity segment. I'm excited to welcome to the show, Caregiver Dave and Sandy. Dave, how are you? Hey, how you doing? Good, good. I, I know you're excited about our guest because you're a huge American Idol fan, right? I'm a huge American Idol fan, yes. <laughs> awesome. So introduce her. Casey-
0: well, let me introduce her. Casey Bishop. For those of you who've been watching, she's no stranger to you. She was almost in the top three, and I don't know what happened. But, Casey, welcome to the show.
2: <laughs> uh, hi, thank you for having me. <laughs> Absolutely, thank
1: you. you. Yeah, and we're going to talk about really an exciting time where you're going to be performing to, with your hometown crowd for such a great uh, charity. We're going to talk about that later. But I kind of want to start out, Casey, did you always want to be in uh, a singer? Was that something growing up you wanted to do to be a performer?
2: Um, yeah, honestly, I think so, because... Um, I was always singing from when I was really little, and then, um, you know, I started feeling really inspired by like C.B. Nicks, and Heart, like Ann Wilson, oh, yeah. and that started happening in like middle school, and that's when I really started taking it seriously. So yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. How did you feel when your single soared <laughs> to the top of the iTunes country chart?
2: <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I never expected that. Like my first single. And it all happened really quickly too it was that that was pretty cool
1: (laughs) now how did this whole thing happen with american idol did you what was your thought process in the auditioning and stuff like that
2: um well the audition so i had to audition uh for producers before the judges and i was really setting my expectations low because i had already been told no like three other times by other shows. And um, yeah, I got told yes. And then I got sent through to the judges and I really could not believe it. It was really, really surreal to me.
0: So this is an experience that can really enhance your personal development. I'm sure you've seen growth in yourself as a person and personality. Uh, Tell us how you've grown other than your voice in, in this whole experience.
2: Um, I think, on, like, I think I've really grown as a person, honestly, and like my personality and um, my social skills. Because <laughs> Idol, you know, there was a lot of people, and um, that whole show, we just became like family, and there was absolutely no competitiveness at all whatsoever, and yeah, just super tight bond with every one of the contestants because of the show.
1: And that's the important part of the whole thing. And what was your greatest experience being on Idol?
2: Yeah, really, just on honestly, feeling like noticing that I was growing vocally, and um, my nerves weren't getting to me as much. And um, the friends that I made on that show that that was my one of my favorite parts.
0: You know, so as, as a viewer, I'm sorry, Neil. As a viewer, uh, we always wonder what's going on behind the scenes because we see breakdowns. We see people who are not emotionally uh, stable enough to to rise to the occasion, to, to take the pressure. They, they crush under pressure. Uh, what are some of the things you've seen? And uh, were they real or were they staged? I mean, we never know what's staged on the show.
2: Right. Um, well, I can say for myself that... Um, Behind the scenes, in the middle of the show, while I was there, I started getting really really down on myself and I was losing my voice, so I started to worry and my nerves started getting to me and it was making me perform differently and I wasn't enjoying performing, I was just too worried. And, you know, I wasn't saying that on TV or I wasn't really telling everyone that, but I'm very open about it because nerves a real thing. And, um, yeah, but it all got better though, because my voice started to get better. So, yeah.
1: (laughs) Cool. And so in that process, how do you keep yourself from those nerves? How do you get yourself focused when, especially when it's time to perform?
2: Um, uh, I don't know. I'm still trying to work on that, but I, I luckily made just made it through it every time my nerves overwhelmed me. I just, it just, it's honestly like, I feel like I black out from my nerves and then I remember what I did like hours later, you know, I don't know. It's hard to explain. It's weird.
1: I know that from performing. And I think Dave does as well, speaking in front of big audiences and stuff. It's like basically once the camera lights on or it's time to perform when I was a professional wrestler, whatever, the mind of the nerves just went away after the first minute. It's like, first couple seconds and you start and you're like, okay, okay, now yeah. I'm in, in the zone. Everything I was thinking about before the light, camera light went on or performing is like that. Dave, do you
0: agree with me on that? The same kind of feelings? Yeah. Absolutely. You- I've, some of the times that I've been the, the most nervous, uh, you know, I've spoken to people afterwards and I says, God, I was so nervous up there. Is really, you didn't even look at. So yeah. in essence, you know, we've all learned to become at our worst better than everybody else. And that's why, that's why they kept pushing you through.
2: (laughs) Yeah. yeah, hundred percent relate.
1: And then, so from American Idol, what's going on now? Can you update your fans since my American Idol, what you've been doing? Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, um, I got signed to the label 19 records and BMG and, um, I'm traveling back and forth to LA and I'm writing and recording some new music. So I'm pumped about that.
0: That's the cool thing about Idol. You know, you don't have to come in first or second or third or even fourth or fifth. There's people out there because because the competition is just getting more and more intense. And it's like, I don't envy the judges for choosing these people. And and I don't know how the fans can do it. But, uh, you know, they were so disappointed when you got knocked off that some people said, I'm not watching Idol ever again.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I know. They were really
0: invested in you. Oh, that was a good night. Honestly,
2: that night, I got a limited <laughs> It was a really good night for me.
0: So
1: now let's talk about charity uh, pros and especially talk about charity pros for heroes. And you're gonna get the opportunity to perform in front of your hometown. How exciting is that? And tell us about it.
2: Oh yeah. I mean, I'm always excited to perform for my hometown because I did that one time and the energy was absolutely amazing. And I'm so excited to do that again, especially at Hertz. So, um, yeah, I'm pumped, and especially with John Fogerty, like that's nuts.
1: <laughs> yeah, and to be in that opportunity in that environment, and that's have you have you performed at Hertz before or not? Have I what? You performed at Hertz Arena before or is no? It, oh yeah, so nope. crowd <laughs> excitement. How how excited are you already talking about? who's coming to see you perform and everything and getting it all ready together. What date is it on November? cause I always get the, the dates are 20, the 20, which state is it 20?
2: Oh gosh, yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think Hertz is the 21st.
1: Yeah, 20, so I can go back and check, I... I'll check that stuff out. So, but we'll okay. check it out. But again, go to cherry pros. You can check that all that information but I think it's amazing that you're getting to perform and also for such a great cause. Right, when you agree the, yeah. the cause is amazing to what Dave, what charity pros is doing for this performance, Charity Pros for Heroes, that Casey's going to be performing and also a bunch of other people as well. The three nights. Yeah. One night is going to be again every night's with John Fogerty, but one night's with Foreigner, another night's with Cheap Trick, and then Casey as wow. well. And so it's a it's an all-star cast, but what's really awesome about it is it's for it's raising money towards the frontline workers who lost their lives for their families, the kids that have been left behind. And how's that feel? I mean, to think about specifically the doing this for this charity, it's gotta be amazing to be able to be.
2: Yeah, it really is. Like, I feel like I'm doing a really good thing. And, um, you know, I heard about, it. I'm so excited about it. And then I, am you know, just (laughs) getting to perform and then, it being for such a good cause it, it's I think it's just going to be such an amazing three days
0: <laughs> you know so many so many people rise to fame so quickly as you did and uh one of the amazing things that most people say is to to stay humble um how do you manage to stay humble through all of the fame and, and now you're doing this great charity and you're singing with uh foreigner and john you know how, how do you stay humble
2: I don't know. Um,
0: you are get, humble, right? <laughs> You Definitely.
2: <laughs> I get, well, I get told I'm humble, but I, I mean, it's just like, I, I like humble people. It's just like, I, I don't think anyone's lower or higher than anyone else, you know? So I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> And I mean, I'm sure
0: you, your family, your parents, you know, told you to be humble, or what advice did they oh give yes. you? we you were going through the whole process. I'm sure they yes, were very supportive.
2: They always get reminded, stay humble, stay humble. <laughs> Even when I was like little. But yeah. Um, oh, the advice that they gave yeah. me, Got yes. all the, uh, staying humble, definitely. <laughs> um, and pretty much cheesy, but staying true to myself. <laughs>
1: It's important to definitely stay true to yourself. So Dave has a question why he's called the caregiver. Go ahead and ask that question, Dave. Then we're going to go and find out where we can find information on Casey. And also talk about, again, where people can go to to find information on the concert.
0: Go ahead. Yeah, I have a a website, uh, caregiverdave.com, because I became a caregiver 25 years ago when my wife and I were married just 25 years. We're married almost 47 years now. And she suffered a stroke. She had this headache that turned into a stroke lost her speech, became paralyzed. And, you know, after a couple of year, years of just grieving and, you know, feeling sorry for herself, and finally she just reinvented herself and says, you know, if God kept kept me here, it must be a reason. So now she she's just become an overachiever. She di- decided to do everything that she's done before, only now with one arm and one leg tied behind her back and basically duct tape over her mouth. And she makes us normal people look like whiners and complainers. And so I wrote a book uh, about caregiving, you know, just helping people to – learn to survive, uh, uh, you know, uh, thrive, actually, not just survive. But most caregivers, well, 30% of caregivers will actually die before their loved ones do, and about 60% will become sick or need a caregiver of their own. So I say now's the time to learn how to become a caregiver. What kind of caregiving uh, experience have you been exposed to, or have you, uh, you're probably too young to worry about this, but, you know, one day you might have to be a caregiver to your parents or your grandparents. Have you ever thought about that?
2: oh um
0: you <laughs> got yeah. enough to think about <laughs>
2: yeah and I'm so yeah um my both my grandmas passed away oh, and my they're in a better place now and uh yeah. Um, yeah so my whole family uh during that time when it was you know when it was like coming you know um we were all caregivers you know and uh, just uh, going through the acceptance of it, and then still caring for them and trying to maintain your composure, it was a uh, it was a lot. But um, yeah, I just I cherish those moments still.
0: That's
1: great. Cool. See, so you never know, Dave. Care, you can check out the caregiverdave.com, but you never know who becomes a caregiver because at, at a younger age, it's definitely grandparents. You get to learn that caregiving. So, when it's time to care for someone else, you'll be ready. And, Casey, where's the best place to connect with you? On Instagram? Is that best for people to reach out to you? Yeah. Follow you?
2: On Instagram. I'm, I'm on Twitter and sometimes on Facebook. I'm trying my best. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Try to jump in all those different places, but everyone needs to go to the charitypros.org right now. If they would like to purchase tickets for November 20th, that's going to be again in Tampa, Florida. Estero, Florida at Hertz Arena on November 21st and then November 23rd in Amway Center in Orlando, Florida. Again, the go to thecharitypros.org. Appreciate you guys stopping by. Thanks again, Casey. Best of luck in your career. And I tell you, thanks. I wish you all the luck and we're going to be rooting for you. So thanks again.
2: Thank you so much. Take care. Casey.
1: All right, guys. Yes. That was the Caregiver Dave Celebrity segment. Take care. We're back to the Neil Haley show and I am excited to talk to this man. And, you know, I am amazed at how he kind of transformed his life in a way and changed it after working the corporate world for so long and choosing to find a way to decrease stress and live a more happy life. So I'm excited to welcome the program, Adam Weber. Adam, thanks for calling. How are you?
3: Hi, Neil. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
1: All right. So let's talk about it, you know, really quickly, Adam, why, what was your aha moment that you said you needed to really try to decrease the amount of stress you're under and things like that? What was that aha moment? The aha moment
3: was when I was diagnosed after being in the corporate world for so long was being di- diagnosed with multiple sclerosis oh my God. and realizing that even when I was on the road or at home, simply going to the gym or going for a run was not gonna work for me anymore because of the disability I had actually developed and the inability to walk without a cane or a walker. So I, I knew I needed an alternative approach. And I said, you know what? I gotta give meditation a try. Um, because as a son of a doctor, I was constantly being fed with lots of medications. And those were making me even more sick. In fact, the doctors believe that's one of the reasons I got as sick as I did, because too much medication can actually eat away at your gut.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is that um, so the stress led to medication and then that caused a lot of health health concerns then. Right. Because you were so stressed out. It's such a go, go, go world in corporate. You said you were traveling a lot. Right. I was
3: traveling a lot. A lot. I was always on the road, even if it was locally in a car, or you know, staying over a couple states away or something like that. I'd spend hours in the car, and then I'd get back to the hotel, and I'd be writing reports all night long. And 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 once I got to back to my office or my home office, because uh, I was based out of New York and northern New Jersey, I would be doing the same thing. So it was a a, a perpetual. I, I was like a hamster
1: on a wheel. I never slowed down. Never slowed down, and that—that's—that's—that's—and you felt it. You felt it in your body. So the aha moment is di- diagnosed with MS. What did you do when that happened? How did you slow down your life and say, "No, I'm going to do things that make me happy," but yet yeah, and and do something, but I have to stop doing what I was doing before.
3: Well, the truth is, the physical disability that I was developing is what really pushed me over the edge. I had no choice. Right. I had no choice. It wasn't a shoulda, coulda, or maybe I'll try it. It was a. There was no
1: alternative. Right. Okay. Doing it. And so, what measures did you put in place? Did you have an idea what measures to put in place once you did? You decide you're you're going to. Oh, I did. I
3: just had not been actively using them. It was Mm -hmm. a matter of meditating daily, Mm -hmm. eating a a um, a better diet. Uh, uh, you know. one thing it's called is the elimination diet, eliminating a lot of foods and a lot of things that cause stress, that cause stress out, of, out of our lives. Right. I mean, some people call the elimination diet just a food diet. It's really a matter of eliminating certain behaviors, eliminating certain people, eliminating certain a lot of things in general, uh, because, you know, it, it's not necessarily what you add that helps you, but it's what you eliminate that helps you.
1: Yes, and that's so true. And what, whatever you eliminate is going to uh, make you feel better because and, and adding extra things to the plate just causes more stress, right? If you'd say, "Okay, I'm going to add all these other p- specific things," so it's more subtract than add. Because let's say you keep doing all those things that you're doing that are wrong, but you add some things you're doing good like add meditation, but that yet don't only have a proper diet, right? Add another thing of, you know, listening to inspiring people and spending some time in relaxed mode, but yet you're still doing that same schedule. It's not going to work, right?
3: Exactly. And as a Canfield trainer, I knew the formula E plus R equals O was a transformative uh, formula. And it was something that I had thought about and used somewhat, but not used like I should have been using
1: Yes. And so you knew it, but yet you didn't follow it. And how much do we do that, Adam, all the time? We have daily in our lives. We have all these great tools in our hands and we just don't do them. We just go what we feel is going to be the easiest and we don't think about.
3: Yeah, now we have a toolkit just by nature and things we learn as we grow up, as we adult, um, as we marry and have kids, we learn all sorts of things. The problem is, do we implement those things? And usually it's not until we absolutely need to implement those things. And we do that. We actually see the results we're looking for.
1: So should we write down if we know we want to decrease our stress? Should we write down on a daily basis what we're doing and see what is a negative effect to our lives?
3: That is a perfect way of framing it, write it down, and then take that list and cross out the things that are either causing you stress, or exasperating stress you actually have making this, you know, your life worse, making your body worse, making your mind worse, causing you to lose sleep, causing problems with relationships, all sorts of stuff like that.
1: And and we're not going to ever eliminate stress, but we can decrease it for sure.
3: You can never 100% eliminate stress. There are some people who say you can, but I've spoken to doctors. I've spoken to all sorts of people and they say, as much as I try, I've never been able to, and even I can't. I mean, it's uh, getting up to take the kids to school or to make sure I'm on an You're to
1: have. They're going to always have that horrible day. You're always going to have that thing that hits a diagnosis like you're dealing with or a divorce or a you know, a loss of a loved one. It's how you deal with it on many things that are easy measures, you know, eating healthy, working out, meditating, uh, spending time for yourself. All these things are implemented. Things are going to go much better. You're, you you and I are talking off air. You're going to have a book coming out in 2022. Tell me about what the book's, the name of the book.
3: The book, I haven't actually come down with the final name yet, um, but it, it's a follow-up to my book, my bestseller, actually meditation, not medicine. And it's really about helping people escape their stress, utilizing meditation versus having to take the pills and that one, I call the one size fits all approach of, of taking pills.
0: Okay.
1: I agree. And that's where you really need to look at natural medicine Versus physical medicine, even though it's going to be a band aid, it's never going to be the solution. All right, well, we appreciate you coming by, Adam, and uh, you're definitely inspiring all of us with MS and your energy level and doing all those different things. Stay healthy, keep going, and, and decrease your stress. And uh, thanks for coming on the show, I appreciate it.
3: Thanks a lot, Neil. I appreciate right, take, your
1: time. You're welcome. Bye bye. You're listening and yeah. watching The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to The Neil Haley Show, and my guest today is author Anita Green, author of Don't Compare Yourself to Others. Anita, thanks for stopping by. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Neil? It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. I'm t- excited to talk to you about this. But first, tell me a little bit about your background, and then we'll get to the topic today. Well, I have been working with over
4: 50,000 men for the last 40 years, over the last 40 years. Um, I've been a personal stylist for men and also a coach, a success and relationship coach for men. And in getting to know men so well and understanding where the disconnects are between men and women from the man's perspective, and of course, I have my own because I'm a woman. um, I started coaching women on how to speak the way men listen. It sounds like something that should be really simple, but it's and it is simple, but it's very specific. And I've done, I've read hundreds of books and researched it for years to really understand it. And I thought, I just have such a unique skill set of having work with the men to know how they feel about stuff and how they take something that a woman says and how we think we're understood and we're not. So I help women be understood.
1: All right. So let's go to the topic. How should women speak to men? to get there. <laughs>
4: well, there's a, there's a lot of ways. First of all, we as women tend to want to give you all the little nitty gritty details on everything and you don't even care. (laughs) It's not what you're interested in. You mostly want the bottom line, most men do. And there's a lot of science around in a personal relationship, how men shut down at about six and a half minutes, which is interesting. So once a woman has that awareness, then she's gonna get to the point a lot more quickly. So it's important to pick your timing, Really, really well. Um, There was an old comedian that did something called Defending the Caveman, and he said, Man does not watch TV, man becomes the TV. And that was so true. It's not a slam, it's just the way men watch TV. So it's not the best time to speak to a man about something. He's become the TV, he's watching his favorite team play. It's not a good time. So pick your timing wisely, choose your words carefully your intention carefully and what you want your outcome to be with the conversation and get to the point quickly. Like I just said, those, those three things alone would make a huge difference. There's a whole lot more science and stuff to it, but that kind of gets to the bottom line.
1: Get to the point quickly. So you don't want to go into just the many different layers, just go right to it. Why do men need that?
4: When a man wants more information, he will ask you for it. Men process things in a completely different way. And so when you're giving all the, and a lot of this comes from social upbringing, from when you were a kid, from when you were a little boy versus little girls, the way that little girls communicated and connected and had relationships with their girlfriends was by telling them every little dirty secret and every little detail about their lives. Whereas the little boys, for the most part, wanted to have respect in a different way. And they would do it through physicality or by being a leader. And so that's brought things in. So we don't communicate the same from those reasons alone, there are many other brain reasons that we communicate slightly differently, but it's different enough to make a huge difference. So most men, you can't say all men or all women do anything. I think a lot more like a man. And my husband thinks a lot more like a woman and we've been married 49 years. So it's kind of an interesting thing since this is something that I coach, but I just understand how getting to the point it really makes a man happy. I mean, he gets, I, because of all the women I've coached, I get to hear what their bosses and husbands have said once I've coached them a little bit. And I had a husband recently, they were about to get a divorce, and the husband said, After 22 years, you finally get me. And it was just a change in the way I helped her think about her perception of what he was saying, his perception of what she was saying. Women also have a tendency, it's not a slam, it's an observation. And there's a lot of science to back up the observation. A lot of women um, have the need to share too much, like I said before, but also speak in hints and clues. And men don't speak in hints and clues, (laughs)
1: Mind readers, right? That's yes, I
4: mean. exactly.
5: Exactly.
1: And if You don't know what's going on. How can you help or help the problem or uh, understand why? And exactly. that's, that's so tough for men to understand those things because I guess the black and white thinking that men have. Not.
4: Oftentimes, oftentimes, yes. So that's just a, the extra details often come across to a man as noise, and then to a woman, when you're not really tuned in and listening, it comes across as you're not paying attention to me. I've I have listened to thousands and thousands of women, the wives of the men that I have coached, speak to me for years, saying, "My husband never listens to me. My boss doesn't listen to me. My teenage son doesn't listen to me." And the thing is, I get it. And it takes me about two seconds to figure out where the gap is and say, because this is what you said. This is how he heard it. And once you start clearing things up, and I do a lot of role playing, and it really helps and the women go, oh, but oftentimes the women will say, well, why do I have to change the way I talk to be understood? Because it will give you everything you want in your life. You will make more money. You will have better relationships. You'll land that big deal and you'll be happier. And so will the man. It's a win-win situation for both.
1: So one other tip you can provide women right now, how you, how you should uh, talk to men.
4: Take two seconds to think before you speak and think about what your intention is. Because your intention, you know, in speaking, there's so many things that communication. Like seven percent of communication is your words, thirty-eight percent is your facial expression, your tone of voice, how how fast you're speaking, fifty-five percent is your body language. So once women understand all of that, then they're they will choose their words more carefully and their timing more carefully, and they'll get to the point more quickly.
1: Okay. Best place people can find information on you need is go where. Um,
4: my website is Anita F like Frank green at, .com. AnitaFGreen.com. That'd be a great place to start. Or you can book a call with me at speakwithanita.com.
1: Appreciate it, Anita. This is a great, great. topic. You're, you're definitely looking at the Mars Venus thing in a different aspect <laughs> by being the expert to how to speak to men. And uh, there's definitely a art to it as you brought up today. So I appreciate you coming by.
4: Oh, thank you so much, Neil. It's a pleasure. Bye-bye.
1: Okay. All right. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley show. And well, we're going back to a topic that I started it all out uh, almost 12 plus years ago in at Carnegie Mellon University running the first show, the Total Education Hour, where it was all about education. And my guest, it knows about education, but she connects business and the ROI of it adding some of her business background into it. So I'm excited to welcome the program. Dr. Jones, Dr. Jones, thanks for stopping by. And you know what? When I think about, we miss the boat in education and the fact we're not looking at the results. We're looking at test scores that don't equate to success after college, right? And that's the biggest problem, right?
6: Exactly. What we're doing, we are giving students a foundation, but where is that foundation? taking them to no place. So I focus on how they, how we build strong curriculums, K through 12, so students have the option of pursuing the higher order majors. They have the math and science to pursue those majors so they can have the life that they envision, not wake up in 12th grade and say, I want to be a medical doctor. I want to be an engineer. I want to be an architect. And they have not set the foundation to get there.
1: So, Dr. Jones, when I start thinking about this, the fact is how many school districts across the country do not have high level science programs and mathematics programs? They don't go up into high levels of calculus and they don't go in the high levels of science. How much does that hurt in the process, especially when you're looking at areas that are going to be the best success going on to college and career?
6: Yes, that is so true because in affluent schools, I've worked at affluent schools to the, to the more um, um, the socioeconomic challenge schools. And at affluent schools, they will have over 23 to 30 AP dual enrollment type of higher order classes. In, in the um, lower socioeconomic, they may have up to five, but that is not even the case more so. Yeah. It's that Educational counselors, those who got their degrees in education really got a social science degree. They did not really learn how to, they didn't take the high order classes a lot of times themselves to even guide the kids in that direction.
1: To navigate the success, they put roadblocks out there based on background, based on specifically just one bad year and you're put in a track. And you want to kind of eliminate those tracking systems in certain ways that you really want to look at success in a different level, right? When you're trying to create curriculums and develop them so that you're having more kids graduate, more kids graduating in the right major so that they can find the right jobs out of college. Right. Yeah,
6: well, the curriculum is already there. Even at the lower socioeconomic schools, it's already there. Counselors, a lot of people in the school system, they counsel, they teach from their own background, from their limited background. We are to invite the children to take higher order curriculum and support them and give them a a, a vision of if you take this higher order curriculum and we support you, these are the options you have in the future. If you do not, these are also the options. I am so invested in it because my counselor in 11th grade, when she was building my schedule for 12th grade, said, you have enough math, you have enough science, take work experience. That was the worst ever um, 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 advice I ever got because she never asked me, what, what major would you like to pursue? I would have said accounting. She would have said, no way you can't drop math and science. You need math and science, else you will not be able to pursue that major. So I went to college, I struggled. I had to step down from accounting to business economics. Here's where the ROI comes in. By stepping down from accounting to business economics, the mother load of of, of, um, business degrees, I lost at the lowest end of earning potential a half a million dollars at the highest 1.5 million in earning potential because my counselor did not ask me what major I would like to pursue in college to retroactively build my schedule to make sure that I am able to make it through that major.
1: Why are guidance counselors not looking as much at the athletics Are looking at more of the specific just of scheduling it for teachers, the schedules, building the schedules in high school? Well,
6: first of all, when you go through K through 12 education, then you go for an education major that doesn't teach pedagogy how to teach the learner how to learn and does not focus in subject matter where they're coming out. If you're going to teach English, math or history, you need to take at least eight classes in college of that curriculum. Most so they're getting a behavioral major, then they're going to college and going doing um counseling. They're right. not really understanding pedagogy. They're not really understanding scheduling so that what they bring to the table is limited. So they limit our children. So they do not focus. They don't even know what return on your investment is. They because tell the kids, you it. can take basket weaving and you'll become a rocket scientist. no.
1: It's more talking about their feelings versus looking at specifically enough success in life. You need counselors as better as coaches, business coaches, but in a way, career coaches. We're missing the colleges too. Our college career counselors are not looking at specifically enough the ROI of what major, what things. Oh, we looked at your thing, but not asking and understanding those things. And that goes back to how do you fix that? If you're already identifying the problem, Dr. Jones, how do you fix the problem? How do you fix the problem to get better guidance counselors that are not so stuck into, I have to create a schedule and I'm going to just listen instead of really advise them? How do we get better prepared counselors to guide students to success?
6: It starts with the curriculum at the college level of teaching. Counselors usually come from teachers. Teachers have to have built into their curriculum. I looked at curriculums from 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 junior college to Stanford University. If you look at education, it's all behavioral psychology, sociology. We've got to put more pedagogy in there. We have to put more um, um, subject matter learning of the teachers and we have to have more counselors that went outside of K through 12, worked in other arenas, came and could bring that knowledge back into the school system to guide students. We have too many social science guidance counselors and teachers, and we need more concrete educators. We need more concrete professionals so they could come back into the school system and offer children a better worldview of what it takes to make out there, to make it out there.
1: Got it. So, the best place people can connect with you and learn more about you, Dr. Jones, is go where? Is Please go to axedrjones.net.com is as a medical doctor,
6: axedrjones.net, and you could definitely connect me, with me there. Thank you so much for this opportunity.
1: All right. Thanks, Dr. Jones. Take care. You too. Thank you. All right. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to The Neil Haley Show, and I am excited to talk about this because I wanna win. We wanna win in everything. And yet we do hit that spot in w- in the winning process. We lose certain edge. So I'm excited to welcome to the program, Dr. Jackie Black. And our topic today is how to win at relationships. But before we get there, let's go and learn a little bit about your background, Dr. Jackie.
7: Thank you, Neil. So I work with couples, uh, couples with extraordinary circumstances, living with extraordinary circumstances. Couples who are busy entrepreneurs and professionals who want to make every day feel like their honeymoon. And couples living with illness. You know, when couples live with illness, the focus is generally on the ill partner, not on the relationship. And so these couples really want to make sure that their intimate connection stays yummy. And I work with couples raising an ill child, a child with disabilities or a neurodiverse child so that they are determined to keep their uh, their their open heartedness with each other and with their child.
1: See, I love to talk about the one that have the honeymoon each and every day, because the thing that happens is, can you do that? Is that a just pipe dream? No, no, no.
7: That that is absolutely possible. Neil, do you know that um, entrepreneurs and professionals get divorced at a 10 plus percent higher than the national average in the U.S.?
1: Wow. Is that because because they're not both entrepreneurs? Is that one of the reasons why they get divorced more?
7: Uh, Whether they're both entrepreneurs or whether there's just one of them that is an entrepreneur. And the reason is that as entrepreneurs, we focus We get carried away. We love our businesses. We're on a mission. We're really connected to our businesses in many ways that that other people are not. And we don't multitask well. By multitask, I mean that we don't have a shared vision with our partner. We have a vision and a mission for our business. Most couples don't have a shared vision. So when you don't have a shared vision, it's very hard to maintain your focus and the intensity on the connection and make it as much of a priority as the business is. People don't do this deliberately, but what they also don't do is deliberately intend to make sure that their connection, their honey connection, their sweet couple connection gets stronger and stronger as the years go by.
1: That shared vision and that mission is so important and a lot, especially let's say one person in the relationship is an entrepreneur and the other one is not. They have a business, you know, the entrepreneur lifestyle, the beach lifestyle, the style of travel, different things. And hey, it's not work. When we're entrepreneurs, when we're business owners, we don't feel it's work. We go and pick up and take a business call on a Sunday at eight o'clock at night. We don't feel it's work. We go and jump off and work a, a 24 hour day, one day. We don't consider it's work. When you have the other Significant other that doesn't see that vision, what can happen?
7: The partner can get into competition with the with you with the business. Uh, they feel slighted or rejected, or abandoned by the amount of time that you're spending in the business and not with them, and they don't understand. And there's another really interesting thing that happens is most entrepreneurs have a very high ability to deal with risk. And most partners of entrepreneurs, interestingly enough, tend to be risk averse.
1: Mm, That's a problem because... As a business owner, if we define business owner and entrepreneur, I, I define them a little differently. But ultimately, when you're starting out, you're not an entrepreneur, you're a business owner, but yet you're taking risk as an entrepreneur moving forward in the growth phase, and you see things, and that you cannot really lay out a five year vision, a 10 year vision. You never know when that final success happens. And if you have a significant other who doesn't like risk, does not like taking risk, how much can that friction happen in, with a couple? Oh, it
7: can, it can seriously derail a relationship when, when the, the when risk aversion is part of what isn't working. There are generally a couple of things that aren't working. You know, when relationships uh, are in trouble, we'll say it that way, it's never just one thing. But risk does play a very big part.
1: See, that's, that. but what about if you go that other route, the one that you want to teach? And I wish we had more time to talk about this topic. It's, wow. The, these have been amazing guests that this this event has caught. Co- I mean, I won't be talking more about the event later because I've been interviewing all these amazing authors of topics I've just been blown away by. Every one of them relate. It's weird. The, the universe is looking out for me definitely today. But when you have a couple that's together that see the same vision, the same mission, and they want to explore it together and live it together, is there a better opportunity as entrepreneurs if you're both like that?
7: Yes, exponentially better. Uh, because it's like being on a boat, on a sailboat. You want to know where you're going and you both want to be working in the same direction energetically in terms of mindset, intention, and energy.
1: Oh, wow. And that's, and I've not heard anybody that does this. So I'm really impressed by this topic, uh, Dr. Jackie, because it's really an important one that you'll see on clubhouse stages and everything that the ones that have a couple that with the same mission and vision, if we look at the successful entrepreneurs, they have someone by them, their side that really supports them. Isn't that correct?
7: yes they're champion they're cheering them on they are excited they can share their wins and they can and they can be there and hold the space for things that don't work or for problems or trouble or fears that crop up you know as entrepreneurs we all have fears not everything is exciting and go 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 and a partner who really gets it and gets you and isn't in competition with that, doesn't uh, right doesn't feel threatened uh, by your work and by your success. And let me just add one piece. When we talk about a, a winning relationship, I always like to talk to couples about win, win, win. I win, you win, we win. And that all decisions are made when I win and you win and we win. And if one of those three energy entities takes a hit, then we can't make that decision. We can't move forward with that idea. We we have to stay committed to exploring and to brainstorming and to being creative when the outcome is is win-win-win.
1: And if you have those, a couple of entrepreneurs that have that, what you said, that magic elixir that's very difficult to find as you talked about at the beginning of the show put all that together and even if you have some opposites it will work because you're going the biggest thing that will drive you every day as entrepreneurs is to transform society in some way and if you have a couple that together see that it's a it's a it's a dangerous uh combination isn't it for success
7: For success, yes. And that whole idea of opposites is such a myth. And uh, it's one of the other things I love to do is to bust that myth. Because if couples have love between them, and they enjoy each other, and they have solid self knowledge, and partner knowledge, so they can really tell each other about themselves, and they know what they need and what they want then they can co-create the best way to achieve everything each person wants and what the couple needs and wants. And it allows people to be more and more who they already are in the presence of
1: each other. All right. So where can we find information on you, Dr. Jackie? I think this topic is a winner. This one right here, especially for even if your significant other is not an entrepreneur, you will help people through this. And it's a topic to speak to because so many people are business owners and entrepreneurs more than ever in 2021. Where can we go?
7: So I'd love to send people to uh, Dr. Jackie gift, D R J A C K I E gift.com. And I have your romance checklist and it's a checklist of five easy not simple but five easy behaviors things that we can do that show our partners that we care moments mere moments
1: all right thanks for stopping by and it was a great topic and i've not heard this topic before it's a great one for tons of podcasts so just pitch that topic trust me and thanks for coming by
7: thank you very much bye-bye
1: all right take care you're listening and watching the neil haley show we'll be back in just a moment we're back to the Neil Haley show and goals, 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 goals. Uh, I think that we set so many goals for ourselves and we don't take little goals that have been achieved before reaching that higher goal and we don't feel that success. We're always looking for the highest, largest goal. And my guest today, Harriet, uh, Harriet Watson's on the program. Harriet, thanks for stopping by. How are you? I'm
5: great. Thank you. Glad That's, to be here.
1: I'm glad, I'm glad you're here as well, Harriet. And So when you talk about goal setting and the process of goal setting and how people, how do we achieve those goals? It's because, again, a lot of times we set such insurmountable goals that we don't forget the success on the way, right?
5: Yes, exactly. I consider goal setting like a road trip. Okay. You know, people have a set goal. They have everybody in the car. They pull the GPS up because the GPS is their guide. They get there and they're happy and everybody's good. People need to use the same kind of thinking when it's they're on the road to achieve a success or a goal that they want. And you do that with certain strategies and principles are necessary to achieve those goals. Stay on the path, the road that you need to get to that success. I have the strategies necessary to achieve those kinds of goals, not give up, lose feelings such as anger and irritability and and resentments, yes, because you gave up. I allow people, I teach them how to stay on that path to success on their GPS, so to speak, the guide that gives the strategies, the principles that are necessary to achieve that goal. I am your guide to achieve on the road to success.
1: Who do you primarily work with? Uh, who's, who, who is your clientele base? You work with? It,
5: it, various kinds of, uh, depending upon what your problem is.
0: You know, okay.
5: some yeah. of it's relationships, sometimes it's the children, their behavioral issues. Okay. the same strategies that one needs to use in order to achieve the success with it. And one of it is staying on task.
1: Interesting. So when you set up goal setting, you set up goals for your personal life. You set up goals for your your children. You set up goals for your saving money. You save up goals for uh, maybe going to a specific vacation. So you're, so you're not really always talking about the, the very ones that some people look at It's almost like New Year's resolutions, but living it 24-7, seven days a week. Not, okay, just in January, I give up two weeks in, right?
5: Yes. You stick with it because consistency is one of the principles that are necessary to achieve any of our goals, you know, because when there's not consistency, you give up. You don't need it, the success that you want. And then people wonder why they don't achieve it because they have not given it their all like they do on a road trip. They don't get off the road. They stay on it till they get to their destination. Achieving our goals and successes is like that. You don't give up. You stay on the path and you will meet success at the end using certain strategies and principles in order to do that, no matter what the goal is, finances, health, relationships, the children. you use the same strategies and principles in order to do that.
1: Okay, all right. So do we set too many goals for ourselves at times when we are looking at these different places? It should be small achievable goals is the first one, not long-term goals. What are your thoughts?
5: Absolutely,
1: absolutely.
5: You can't, um, once you know that you have, even with small goals, once you achieve it, it gives you empowerment to know that, would well, you whiz, if I did that, I can do the next thing because people get, they don't have any patience with themselves. That's right. Patience is key. It is one of the principles that I will be discussing and helping people sort through those things that are barriers to their successes.
1: And those barriers to your success, they keep, they, they, what are they? What are those types of barriers or blocks that happen?
5: Well, they just, um, they're impatient, number one. They want to, oh, they want It right away. They don't want to wait. They expect some kind of magic. But it's not about magic. It's just about staying on the road, continuing to work towards what they know they're able to do once they understand that it is going to be a certain amount of patience involved in it, but they feel I can do this. Yes. I can achieve it. I have done certain things. Now I can do the rest. Let me put this part on there and see how that works. It works with guidance and support and nurturing, which I do, they feel that yes, I, I can do this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's kind of an empowerment kind of thing that they need to have. And of course,
1: if you don't have any success, then you give up, right? If Let's say it's a weight loss goal and you're not seeing little goals in between to get in that goal. say you wanna lose 20 pounds. So uh, be happy when you've gotten lost a couple pounds, right? Don't make it so so I get to that major goal. And that's the same thing in any goals that you're talking about in your personal life, right?
5: Absolutely, absolutely. You just keep doing it. It's like, you know, because you're going to feel that you get a certain amount of strength. And so you stay with it. It's like the children. I give parents strategies and and they work. And then they stop doing those and expect them to, you can't do that. Because once you stop, they revert back to their old behaviors and stuff. I'm like, gee whiz, Harriet, I wish I hadn't done that. But I'm, I said, it's okay. Let's start again. They're very teachable and they're programmable, children are. So we are too, as adults.
1: Exactly. What happens when you get down on yourself? You feel down and discouraged that you're not reaching your goal.
5: Well, you look back at what. The consequences are for not. And it's going to be an unhappy feeling inside, deep down inside. And only the person has control of whether they're going to stay in that angst, that that anger and the regret, you know. And they have to decide that that's not how they want to feel.
1: Awesome. Well, this is just great information, and it gives people hope. But if they're still struggling, you're definitely available to talk to them, aren't you?
5: Oh, yes, I am. I have, yes, I have 20 years experience and I know that certain strategies and personal development work to get people out of those kinds of feelings and they can't do it and all of that
1: so where can we find info where's the best place to go
5: uh, go to my website um, my facebook page
1: awesome perfect and the website is
5: um my website is harriet
1: awesome we appreciate you coming by harriet and definitely, we have to set those goals for ourselves in our personal life, not just like our business or in different ways of achieving personal success. Look at the people around us and setting those goals and really keep growing. And uh, appreciate you coming by. And yes, and be sure to get a guide that can nurture and support you. All right, thanks again, Harriet. Take care.
5: You're welcome.
1: All right. you're listening and watching the Neil Haley show. And we'll be back in just a moment.
5: All right.